1: Welcome to The Good News with Angie Austin. Now,
0: with The Good News, here's Angie.
2: Hello there, friend. Angie Austin here with the good news. Uh, The good news is we have someone joining us who we've had on the program before. I'm really excited to have Dr. Kevin Shuey back. Um, He is just right now, 350 International Screenplay Awards for Bad Love Tigers. We've spoken to him about that book before, but the other thing that took me off guard during my last interview with Dr. Kevin Shuey is that he's not just an author getting all of these awards. He is a board certified cancer specialist who has been in private practice, uh, radiation oncology, for about 35 years. And he discovered rather late in life that he possesses both a passion and a talent totally unrelated to the medical profession. And that talent is quite literally winning him accolades across the globe. Welcome back, Dr. Kevin Chewy.
0: Oh, thanks. It's so good to be with you. I'm really excited to visit with you today. I just
2: loved your story because so many people have a passion for other things and don't dip their toe in the pool of that passion. And so they stay, you know, obviously you're still practicing. I I read about how you like your patients to feel like they're being cared for at home. You really have like a loving family-like environment in your care for them. And so you're still pursuing that passion, but realizing you have another one and then Thirty three hundred and fifty international screenplay awards. I mean, this is like unbelievable. And I know you've done Bad Love Tigers too. So just kind of give us like start us. You're a doctor. Then what happened?
0: Well, in in the uh, fall of 2018, I I was um, I was I'm a military history buff, and I, I was reading an article about this plane called the Phantom Fortress. This is like, for your audience, this is like Phantom of the Opera. And the Phantom Fortress was a B-17 bomber from World War II, which was, I mean, you know, that was like the, the hallmark of the Allied uh, air power in World War II. Anyway, um, in, in November of um, 1944, a lone B17 bomber came in to land at a British air base in Kortenberg, Belgium and um there was no plane scheduled to land and they tried to contact the plane and there was no uh you know there was no radio contact but the plane came in and landed anyway and it sat in the field with its engines running and no one got off the plane and so um you know, the the, the British uh, folks on the ground were thinking, well, maybe this is a, a a Trojan horse and the Germans are using it. Or maybe everyone's dead and injured on board. They just didn't know. So I think maybe, um, Angie, they might have drawn straws. And so this guy named uh, John Crisp, who is a lieutenant, he probably drew the short straw and went out to the plane and climbed on board. And there were parachutes lined up against the fuselage, there were leather flight jackets on the floor, candy wrappers all over the place, engines still running, no one on board. I mean, that's like... Doo, 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 yeah. Doo, 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 doo. You know, it's kind of like a Twilight Zone thing. And so he he turned off the engines by trial and error, and um, and there's a story behind that plane but you know those planes were not uh radio controlled and and if you it's a very difficult story to believe and but it's true it's in the history books just the way i described it and so i read that story and i'm like oh my gosh time time travelers could have been on that plane and uh, got zapped back to the future and then I'm thinking, well, if it were my boyhood gang, we definitely would have tried to do that. And that was the spark that lit the fire for me to write a story. Wow. Okay, and so
2: I so you're still practicing writing. medicine and just you just kind of your your brain kind of got into this fantasy that could be um a novel and uh, and you
0: just started writing? Yes that's exactly what wow. happened and um i've written medical order articles for you know uh, journals and i've written articles for newspapers and hospital magazines and and i still do that but um i had never really written well of course i hadn't written a book um but i hadn't written a story that i had planned to publish so I started writing that story on January 14th of 2019 and I literally finished writing the first book 90 days later. I wow. was I was like a possessed man. I mean, I, you know, so in other words, Angie, really I was inspired to write this series. And and so I ended up writing four books in the span of 2 years. And then And so there's Bad Love Strikes, Bad Love Tigers, Bad Love Beyond, and Bad Love Medicine. And then um, I moved to Indiana and I write the um, screenplays to Bad Love Strikes and Bad Love Tigers. And so Bad Love Tigers is the second book. Mm -hmm. That screenplay I, you know, I, I teased my wife. I'm like, I'm, we're going to move to in Jasper, Indiana, so that we can be famous. <laughs> <laughs> you are so Because I wanted a better work-life balance, and so I'm able to write more. Oh. And anyway, I have to correct you because we had a press release this week the Bad Love Tigers has now won 425 international awards. Oh, my gosh. So since
2: they sent me the first press release, now there are 75 more rewards 425 That's, international screenplay awards.
0: Yes, we're north. We're north of 425 <sighs> at this moment because it won four more awards this week. On, are you so, just is this like blowing your mind? it is i'm actually you know just saying that just put a chill through my body um i'm working with a company i can't disclose um i can't disclose their name in an interview like this because of our agreement Uh, but i'm working with a company in los angeles um, who's taking this screenplay to the studios and um and so I, I hope to do another interview with you sometime um in the first six months of twenty twenty four and be able to tell you that so and so signed up to direct this movie and and here are the the people we picked to be stars and anyway it's um they're giving me a one in five chance that this screenplay, Bad Love Tigers, can be made into a movie. And when you first start out, Angie, your chances I mean, I'm a doctor, I, I'm a cancer, I'm, I'm calling you from my clinic right now, I've been seeing patients all morning, but I write at night and on the weekends, and so this guy that doesn't, isn't really a so-called professional writer, went from a one in a million chance to get this screenplay to the big screen, to what they're telling me now is a Gosh. one in five chance. Unbelievable.
2: I mean, seriously, I I have a friend that I interview every week and he uh, is working on his ninth movie and he's written over 60 books and he started doing this because... He found out when he was a high school football player who then planned on becoming a professional football player, really talented athlete, that he was going blind. So then he thought, well, what can I do if I'm blind with my athleticism? And he became an Olympic weightlifter because he didn't need to see for that. He could could be losing his vision and still do that. Anyway, he says he believes he's become more successful because he went blind and he found this passion for writing books that he can't read and making movies that he can't see. And right now he's on the ninth one. And uh, I'd love to get you two talking to each other because it's just fascinating to me when people find that passion. Oh, I guess the reason I said that to you is because when he was initially doing his contract um, for the books, he said, well, I'd like to keep, you know, the movie rights. And, uh, you know, the legal person or whatever just kind of giggled at him like, "Mm mm-hmm, sure. So anyway, in the long run, he let him have that. And The Ultimate Gift was the first movie and it did extremely well. And so anyway, to make a long story short, he bumped into this guy later and he's like, how much money did you make off of me letting you have that loophole or whatever? And Jim said it was a significant amount.
0: (laughs) You know, that's a, that's a, I love that story because, you know, I think that, our character um, tends to get developed uh, better out of a pressure cooker than it does out of um, just everything being hunky dory.
2: Yes, yes. <laughs> and I.
0: That's uh, a great example that you gave.
2: Yeah, I just um, I think that your story is is a unique one. Uh, But And the reason I like it is you're in your 60s now. You could be retiring, but I don't really see that happening anytime soon. And you found this whole other love, but not just something that you were like on the weekends writing, you know, in a spiral notebook. I mean, you've got plays, 425 plus international screenplay awards now. You've written these books that you've turned into screenplays and now a one in five chance of making it, you know, into in turning it into a movie. I mean, really, it's a dream come true, but not... Not without extremely hard work,
0: I would say, right? Oh, it it is, but you know, when you're when you act, it gives me enjoyment. I mean, I I love writing about the Bad Love Gang. I mean, these are teenagers growing up in the 1970s who are using this uh, time travel machine called the White Hole Project, and so this this ties in, um, Angie, with the the movie Oppenheimer that was out this. Oh yeah. Yeah. And so in Oppenheimer was really the story about the Manhattan Project. So my, my book series, the kind of the thesis, if you will, from like an academic perspective, my thesis is that Roosevelt launched the Manhattan Project in June of 1942, officially. And it was to build the world's first atomic bomb. And that's all true. And um, in Oak Ridge, Tennessee, was built uh, basically as a secret city. It was, called the C- it was called the secret city or the city behind the fence. But anyway, um, Oak Ridge was where they processed plutonium for the first atomic bomb. So my thesis is that in October of '42, Roosevelt invites uh, Albert Einstein to the White House. And they were friends. And it was Einstein who had sent the letter to uh, Roosevelt warning him that Hitler was working on an atomic bomb and, and that we better get our butts in gear and be the first ones to, to, to build it or get it. And so he invites uh, Einstein to the White House in October of '42, and he says to him, Albert, I'm concerned that Hitler is going to win the race to get the atomic bomb. And that's, that's true. He was worried that, mm-hmm. that we would potentially, and he said, so I'm commissioning you to build a usable time travel machine uh-huh. called the White Hole Project that we will build right next to the K-25 plant in Oak Ridge in plain sight. Everyone will think it's part of the Manhattan Project, but we will only use that time travel machine in the event that Hitler wins the race to get the bomb. And so that's that's the fictional aspect of my storyline um, that is tied in with accurate history. And so no pun intended, but the white hole gets uh, lost in time because we won the race to get the bomb until 1974 when this rambunctious misfit group of teenagers calling themselves the Bad Love Gang Accidentally discover a tunnel leading to the White Hole Project, and like any rambunctious group of teenagers, they um, decide they're going to learn how to use it.
2: Well, I, the- I unfortunately we are out of time, and I am just I love speaking with you. I can't wait to talk about how you know this is going to be made into a movie.
0: Give us your website. So it's com. And uh, it's a great website, and you can navigate, you can put, you know, hit the buy tab. It'll take you to Amazon and Barnes and & Noble. These books are available in paperback, hardcover, Kindle, Nook, and Audible. You can you can get them in Amazon, Audible. And then follow me on Instagram, at Real Kevin Chewy. My Instagram account is kind of a hoot because I, I put all these uh, screenplay awards to music, and so it's kind of entertaining. Oh,
2: definitely. All right. And Shoei is S C H E W E. Thank you so That's much,
0: right. Doc. All right. Thanks a lot, Angie. Great to be with you.
3: Aspen Park is listening to KLTT, the mighty 670. Christmas shopping is never easy, especially with teenagers, and Arc Thrift knows that. Arc Thrift has recently added electronic gift cards to their website. Now you can easily buy that family member or special person a gift card electronically to thrift away. This gift is perfect for college students or stocking stuffers. Teenagers and young adults don't want to look cookie cutter, meaning they want that unique, one-of-a-kind product that you can only find when thrifting. Arc thrift also carries gifts that are great for white elephant gifts, gag gifts, and even toys for the little ones. They have a vast variety of products, but for the holiday season, you can find cheaper than store-brand Christmas lights, indoor and outdoor decorations, and so much more. It is the season of giving, so don't forget to donate those clothes at the back of your closet you never wear to Arc Thrift. Give the gift of thrift by going to arcthrift.com. That's arcthrift.com.
2: Hey there, friend. Angie Austin here with the good news, along with Katie millar Uh One of her books is Becoming a Mean Teen Parenting Machine, a step-by-step guide to transform your relationship with your teenager. Uh, she works with kids, with their brains, with how to navigate things. And uh, Katie, this week, we're going to talk about how to help our kids go through difficult things, which as teenagers in high school, as athletes with friends, they're going to ha- hit a lot of bumps, right?
1: Absolutely. And we actually, this sounds kind of awful but as parents we need them and kind of want them to go through these hard things because they need to incrementally learn how to handle stress how to handle hard things and and when they are young and in the home and with us and when we can watch and see we can help support them to know how to get through these in a healthy way instead of developing unhealthy coping mechanisms so Something that I wanted to address, and it's been something that a lot of parents have, you know, reached out to me for, is how what do we do? How involved do we get in our kids' lives when they go through something really challenging? And so I just kind of have a little three-step thing to have questions you can ask yourself as a parent so that you can make sure you're supporting them in their growth and not necessarily hindering them or making them um, – Feel like they don't have the tools or confidence that they need to get through things on their own. Because as I've said many times, we want our children as they reach adulthood to want to be with us, but not to need us. We want them to be independent and confident. And so how do we get to that point where they say, I want to talk to my mom because she's so helpful, rather than if I don't talk to my mom, I might do something dangerous. And so the first thing that you need to ask yourself as your child's going through a hard thing is first, do they have the tools to work through this? have they have you they've been equipped whether it's through teachers mentors or with with family stuff do they have the tools that they need and if they don't then this is a good opportunity to say now it's the time to introduce the tool introduce what what you should do in this type of circumstance but if you've talked about it previously and if you feel like you have address this then you can even say to them this is a good opportunity for you to try to show courage and remember what we talked about when you're in an uncomfortable situation how can you you know have courage and 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 articulate your beliefs or something like that if that's appropriate to the situation so the first one is do they have the tools if they don't this is your opportunity to introduce it if they do encourage them and remind them what they can do to get through it the second thing the parent needs to ask is are they making the situation worse? And this is a really hard conversation thought to have with ourselves is, am I contributing to the problem? Am I adding more stress? Am I pushing a timeline. I, so, you know, with a child who maybe is trying to make a big decision about, you know, athletics whether they should continue or not continue, as a parent, am I giving too much of my opinion? Am I inserting myself in my wait so this are me, we this day?
2: Wait, Katie, I'm okay. I uh, so we ask are we contributing to the problem or do we ask them are you contributing to the problem? Both. Both. Oh, so when both. it comes
1: specifically to our, us as a parent, a lot of times our kids are are ready to make big decisions for themselves, especially when they're teenagers, later teenagers and early young single adults, they're ready and they're wanting to assert that, that confidence and that Mm decision-making. But we as parents are sometimes jumping in and either one rescuing too early or two putting in our own agenda and saying, well, you know, like we might feel like we, we sunk all this money into your gymnastics or your volleyball or your basketball is this really what you want to do? And the child is like, well, I felt strongly about this decision, but now I'm not certain. And, and so it's just as a parent, when, we, when they were little, it was very important that we were an active part of this. But when they are teenagers and transitioning into young adulthood, we need to be a supportive and help guide them to use these tools that hopefully we've already taught them. So we need to ask ourselves, Am I contributing in a way that may not be positive? And then after or during, you constantly learn and evaluate together. So after they've made the decision, even if it's the wrong decision, we learn a lot from our wrong decisions, probably more than we do from our right ones. So if your child chooses to make the wrong decision, if they choose to go out and hang out with friends instead of doing their homework, you can take that opportunity later instead of you know you can punish and chastise whatever you feel like you need to do but you also need to sit down and evaluate and say where did we go wrong what happened here that that was the turning point for this failure that you're experiencing right now and they might say well i prioritize this over that you know and let them kind of come to those decisions themselves because they will take it so much better If they are deciding on their own, I probably should have stayed home with friends instead of mom saying, I told you so, I told you so. And when they feel like they have that, I told you so, especially when they're past like 15, 16, 17, when they're starting to get that, they might, some kids might become more resentful and dig in their Mm heels rather than do the thing that we wanted them to do. Mm -hmm. And so all of these things if it could boil down to you know like two words it would be trust in them and confidence in them now the only way to have confidence and trust in your child is to build a strong foundation over time where you can have that trust and confidence in them so if you're not there with your kid yet go back to the baby steps go back to the simple things that we've talked about previously but if you feel like your child is ready for a little more responsibility they're wanting to assert their independence and this is a good step these three steps to use of first do they have the tools if not teach them the tools second ask yourself am i making this worse do i need to step back and show them you have confidence in them and then finally after the decision's been made evaluate and learn together and make an action plan for the next time so that they once again can go right back into now they have the tools for the next hard thing they're going to go through because you've evaluated and learned from the previous hard things
2: okay so i've got that do they have the tools and if they don't you know teach them uh, are they making the situation worse uh, or are we like if it's like drama on like a team or drama in a class or at school are they contributing to the gossip are they contributing to the drama are they sharing things on social media which is exacerbating the issue between students and number three Um, This is the one I think I wrote everything down. Um, You know, what happened here? Ask them to decide, you know, what they should have done or what they could do to make this better. Trust in them, have confidence in them. And if you feel your child is ready um, to evaluate and learn together and to make an action plan for the future. Do I have that right?
1: That's absolutely right.
2: Okay, and then. We had two incidents recently where they were kind of interesting because, you know, they take the phones now in a lot of classes, which I am 100% in support of because everyone has one, right? I don't even, I think just our homeschooled um, Christian neighbors, their kids don't have phones. There's five of them, I think, but everyone else I know pretty much, you know, all these kids have phones. So they have to put them in a phone hotel and that's the way they take um, attendance, well, one of my daughters had said, I don't have my phone, which is hilarious because she always had— not hilarious, but she always has it, right? But she is a straight A student in honors classes. And so she just keeps it in the bottom of her off or silence in the bottom of her backpack. And she just doesn't want to dig it out and keep putting it in the phone hotel. So one of her teachers wrote to me and said, you know, I've been counting her a s absent the last five days. It's a, a a sign language teacher. So the language uh, the teacher doesn't hear. And so when those phones are in there, that's how <clears throat> that's how he says, Oh, this person's here, this person isn't. And then she said, Well, I don't I don't have my phone. Well, she might not have it in her hand, but apparently it was in her backpack, right? So I get this email <laughs> that says, Does Faith have her um, phone in class? And if she, you know, does, she hasn't been turning it in. And I said, well, she won't have it anymore. So I I don't know what the case was before, but she won't have it now. And so we kept it at home. And then a second, uh, another one of our daughters, she, um, they like to go to the bathroom, these kids and text their friends, right? And so she turned in, this is so tricky, they must be coming up with all kinds of like ridiculous ways to skirt this, you know, uh, rule. She put in her old phone. And so it doesn't even have service. It looked like it was off and she put it in. Well, then she goes to the bathroom to text her friends and she comes back listening to music. So, of course, the teacher's like, um, that's uh, your phone. So I get an email that says that, you know, she fibbed about her phone. And then we actually had her. She no longer gets to bring her phone to school at all. It's in the safe. And she does. Like, neither of them can have it at night. We take them at 930 because it's too much for those things to be buzzing at night. It's like gambling. They can't help themselves but to look and see, oh, who sent me a text at midnight? So they're mm-hmm. in the safe at night as well. And... um uh, so the, the one that fibbed, she doesn't even get it at all. Like indefinitely, she can't bring it to school. And that means like, she's there at six o'clock at night at practice. You know, she goes to another campus to take college classes as a junior. Uh, so she doesn't have it when she takes the bus to the other campus. And I'm like, just text me on your friend's phone or, or I email her on her school email. Like, there you go. Problem solved. So we actually made her, you're going to think I'm pretty, we're pretty strict, but, um, She had to mispractice and she's, you know, a valuable player on the team. So the coach and I talked and we thought that'd be best if after she did her detention, because you get in trouble for for doing that, for lying about the phone. So she had to go to her team and her coach and explain. The coach said, look, you make mistakes because my daughter was, of course, sobbing. She was so embarrassed and, you know, she knew she made a mistake. And then she had to tell the team why she missed practice. And so she said, mom, I said, what did you say? She goes, well, first I cried. I couldn't talk. And then I explained to them what happened and they all gave me hugs. And I just said, I'd been having a hard couple of weeks. It's class and you know, they're really tired from practice. They work them really hard. And she said, I just said, um, I've been struggling. And she said, other kids came up to me and they, they gave me a hug and said, and cried and said, they, sometimes they struggle too. And so it ended up being like kind of an a lot less judgmental than I thought. I mean, I'm sure, you know, when they talk with each other, like, oh, can you believe that she did that? But in general, they showed her a lot of support, including the coach. And I was glad we did that because it was a tough thing to do. And she will never do that again. She said, Mom, I will never do that again. I said, you know what? I know it. I know you won't ever do it again.
1: Mm -hmm. And that is and that's such a good point in that oftentimes we want to rescue our kids from these hard things. But the lesson can't be learned if we rescue too early. Yeah. And so we have to, it's this, it's this fine balance of knowing, okay, when is it ready to show that grace and be like, okay, you're ready for this back. You've, you've learned your lesson. And also, we don't like to see our kids suffer. We don't like to see them sad. And it's really hard to do that as parents sometimes. But if we if we take away that that opportunity too quickly, then our child doesn't learn what they need to learn. And we're trying to make good, healthy Christ, God-fearing adults. We're not necessarily trying to make the most, you know, happiest, easygoing adult. And so we have to remember that when these hard things come, that it's okay to let them learn.
2: I, I, I'm glad we did it. And I know it was hard. And she was, I mean, Katie, she was beside herself. She's a very emotional kid. And she was so distraught and so terrified. They said, well, here, <clears throat> I did rescue her a little bit here. I said, here, let me type up a one paragraph, very succinct thing of what you can say to them you know so you kind of have an idea and you know that I put a fi- I put a phone in and that I had my own phone and that I was dishonest about that and that when I was playing my music because she has ADD, so she likes to muffle out things and listen to music I'm not laughing at that I'm just laughing at that like and I said just keep it short and sweet but, yeah. and that you know and then I I had my phone out and changed my music and obviously the teacher saw that I still had my phone and I'm really sorry that I missed practice I'm sorry I let you guys down and I will never do it again and that's what she said and I, I typed it up because I knew she she has a hard time like getting up in front of people and speaking it's very embarrassing to her and she gets very tongue-tied whereas my son would just get up and like this but I don't know I mean it's embarrassing but the coach let me know she she said may I call you she said the team's very supportive of her she did a great job taking responsibility for her actions and she is definitely paying the price and when she was leaving um this morning she goes oh oh yeah my phone I can't bring it with me she knows and she knows if Mm -hmm. she forgets and brings it with her that then there'll be another, you know, she'll have ramifications for that as well. Well, I don't want to say punishment, but more guidance from us if she um, takes it to school. Because I told the teachers, like, she's not going to have it.
1: Mm-hmm. No, I think that's great. And it sounds like she's a great girl who's, you know, learned a hard lesson, but, but sounds like she's going to do great with life.
2: Well, I love your advice. I so love having you on the show every week. And we love that you give us time. I know what a busy mom and you know professional you are. Um, would you give us your social media and also um, your website, Katie?
1: Yeah, of course. So you can find me on Instagram at The Balanced Mind Project. And uh, come visit us over at the anxietyhealingprogram.com. Love to see you. I love to hear from you.
2: Excellent. Real blessing to have you. Thank you, Katie.
1: Thank you so much.
0: Thank you for listening to The Good News with Angie Austin on AM670 KLTT.